I sat down to, to write this sermon at a Starbucks in Ottawa, and that Starbucks was connected to a chapter's bookstore. So I thought to myself, self, that's, that's how I address myself in my internal monologue, self, why don't we go check out what the good folks at chapters think is worth putting on the shelves when it comes to this topic that we're talking about today. So me, myself, and I, we wander over to the section in chapters labeled relationships. Relationships. Talks about friendships, talks about marriage, talks about family. Interestingly enough, I think this is really funny, that, that the relationship section in the bookstore is directly adjacent to the self-help section. I guess they assume if you're going to have relationships, you're going to need some help at some point. So we just wanted you to know where those are, right? That's, what they, that's the reason they put those next to one another. So I pick up book after book, Dr. Phil and Chicken Soup for the Soul and Psychology Today, and everything I picked up all say pretty much the same thing. They talk about the way friendships start. They talk about maintaining healthy friendships. They talk about the characteristics of great friendships. They talk about maintaining friendships through difficult times or determining whether or not your friends are for real. They talk about surviving loss in a friendship. And though they all use different words, they all essentially say the same thing. And as I'm flipping through these books, I'm thinking to myself again, self, none of this stuff is really new. It's all in God's book. The secret to great friendships is recorded in the life of David 3,500 years ago. You see, the central character in our story and in what we're studying this summer, he did a lot of amazing stuff. So far, he's defeated Goliath. He's demonstrated a life of consistent integrity. He served as the king's private musician. The entire nation threw a block party in his honor. And last week, Pastor Kevin talked about the fact that David chose not to exact vengeance on a man that tried to kill him not once, but twice. And though the life of David is filled with all kinds of captivating stories, war, betrayal, murder, heroism, you name it, it's in there. The most amazing part of the story for me, now listen close, the most amazing part of the story of David for me is his friendship with Jonathan. If you're familiar with the story of David, that statement might come as a surprise to you. With all that the story of David has to offer, why would his friendship with Jonathan be the most interesting, intriguing, and amazing piece for me? And here's why. Here's why it's so amazing. Because it seems so out of place. I mean, David has so many reasons to be utterly self-reliant. He lacks nothing. Remember what we talked about a couple weeks ago? He's handsome, he's brave, he's rich, he's popular. Why does David even need a friend? And why is it so important to the author of Scripture that he would talk about this single friendship? So here's the deal. I usually save that gut-level honesty for like the end of the sermon. We're just going to get gut-level honest right up front here, right from the jump. We're just going to get down to the nitty-gritty. Are you ready for, 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 for Luke revealing his heart, revealing gut-level honesty? Everybody prepare yourself. Here it is. If I'm honest with myself, if I'm honest with others, and most importantly, when I'm honest with God, I would say that those things that were actually true of David, I oftentimes think 
the very same things about myself. Those things that were actually true about him, I think them about myself. You know, I'm handsome, I'm brave, I'm well-loved, I'm intelligent, I'm competent. And you know, it doesn't really matter if those things are true, does it? I just think them about myself, and it's going to have an impact on how I live. I'm going to become self-reliant. I'm going to become radically independent. I'm going to become disconnected from others, not to mention arrogant. But don't be too quick to judge me, because I know that there's some in the place that are like me, especially men. Right? We struggle with this. Maybe you're not really all that good looking. Maybe you're not really all that competent. Maybe people don't really like you all that much. But we think that about ourselves, don't we? And when we think that about ourselves, why would we need friends? Why would we need others? I've already got the Holy Trinity, me, myself, and I. Why would I need anyone else? Come on. Be honest with me. Nobody's going to make you raise your hand. Nobody's going to make you sign a paper. But we think this. We're, we're pretty certain a lot of times we don't need outside influence. We certainly don't need intimate friends. Even the word intimacy is creepy for most guys, right? Like we, we like being around people. We like golf buddies and work compadres and homies and bros. But intimate friends? That's kind of a foreign concept for us. So here's why David is so captivating. Here's why his relationship with Jonathan is so captivating. Because the author of scripture, inspired by God, finds it necessary to include a ton of seemingly unnecessary details regarding David's relationship with his best friend, Jonathan. Seriously. Some of it's essential to the story. But there's a lot of gratuitous stuff in there that isn't really critical for the narrative of David's life. I mean, there's crying and hugging and all kinds of stuff. Like, why is it even in there? And here's what I think. This is why I think the author of Scripture included all the detail that he included about David's relationship with Jonathan. He wants guys like me and he wants folks like you, maybe, men and women both, to know this. That even heroes need friends. No matter what you think about your own competency, skill, education, experience, and ability, let me break it to you, you fall way short of David. I fall way short of David. He's a giant slayer. He's the incumbent king in Israel. And in case you haven't noticed, Israel is still around. How about that for long-term return on investment? Has Canada ever thrown a block party for you? They did for David, not Canada, his nation. Has Stephen Harper ever given you the nicest home in the country and a key to the city? David's king did for him. And yet David knew he needed a friend. Not just a friend, a best friend. An intimate friend. A friend that listened close. And this is why I introduced it the way I introduced it. Because for Jonathan, David humbled himself before Jonathan and trusted Jonathan with every part of who he was. Competency, skill, experience, 
handsome, brave, rich, whatever it was, it was rubbish in David's mind compared to his friendship with Jonathan. Why? Because even heroes need friends. Now, we could go through all the reasons friendship is so important, lots of which were in the books that I flipped through at chapters, but we'd spend weeks outlining the benefits of friendship, and I think you know most of them. Where I wanted to start today was with those of us who are tempted toward radical independence and self-reliance, a life that's closed to people around us. No matter how competent and gifted you might think you are, no matter how competent and gifted you might actually be, even the world's greatest heroes, like David, need friends. But maybe that's not you today. Maybe you don't struggle with self-reliance. Maybe you're longing for intimate relationships and they just don't seem to come. Maybe your heart hurts every day for that one special friendship you can't seem to find. Maybe you've had a great friend in the past and that relationship is, is hurting, it's struggling, there's tension. Maybe you even think it's irreparable, it's, it's, it's totally broken. Maybe you have a good friend and you want them to become a great friend. Maybe you have great friends, but life situations have recently changed and it makes the friendship difficult to maintain. You know, marriage, kids, moving, a job can make it difficult to maintain great friendships. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at what I call the stages of friendship as they unfold between this friendship between David and Jonathan. And these stages of friendship are for everyone. No matter where you are in your relationships, if they're excelling, if they're healthy, if they're broken, if they're strained, if you're radically independent or you're radically codependent, wherever you find yourself, God has something to say to you in the stages of friendship as they unfold in this relationship between David and his best friend, Jonathan. So if you've got your Bibles, open it up with me. Open up your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat back in front of you. We also put the scripture up here on the screen so you can read along with us. We'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to start here in these first three or four verses. 1 Samuel chapter 18. And once again, we're watching this hero, David, find a friend in Jonathan. And we'll watch five stages of friendship kind of unfold before our very eyes. 1 Samuel 18 verse 1. Reads this way. As soon as he, that's David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him, that's David, that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. In this very first passage in 1 Samuel, very first one that mentions David and Jonathan's friendship, we see both stage one and stage two of their friendship unfold. The first uh, stage of friendship is what I call the initiation and response, response stage. Initiation and 
response. If you're jotting down notes, jot that down. Number one stage of friendship is initiation and response. You know, here's the deal. Uh, God brings people into our lives in all kinds of different ways, right? Like we, we share a common interest, we live in the same neighborhood, we, we're in a similar life stage. Whatever it is, God uses circumstances to bring people into our life. And we may really like those folks, we may really get along with them, we may share a common interest, but not all of them become friends, do they? See, this very same thing happens with David and Jonathan. These two young men, they share a love for God, they share a dislike for the Philistines, and they're probably about the same age. But something happens, something happens now that that moves them from affinity, from similar life stage, from common interest, and moves them into a true friendship. And here's what it is. Jonathan takes initiative. Jonathan takes initiative and David responds. Look at verse 3. It says that Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Now, up on the screen here, I've actually highlighted a couple of words of this verse because I want for us to recognize what's happening here. Remember, David is a lowly shepherd. Jonathan uh, is the prince of, e- is a prince of Egypt, prince of Israel. He's not the prince of Egypt, please. I'm going to edit that out on the podcast. All right, so, so Jonathan is the prince of Israel, and David is a lowly shepherd. Compared to Jonathan, David is kind of a nobody. In other words, these guys will not become friends unless Jonathan takes it upon himself to initiate a friendship. It would have been way, 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 way outside of cultural norms and expectations for David to initiate a friendship with Jonathan. That's why the text is worded this way. Jonathan makes a covenant with David, not the other way around. Jonathan is the initiator, but David has to respond. So when Jonathan initiates covenant, David responds in turn. You know, it's that way with us, isn't it? You know, friendships don't happen unless someone initiates. Unless someone initiates. And let's be honest, that whole initiation and response stage in friendship can be a little awkward, can't it? Be a little awkward at times. Like even Hollywood makes fun of this whole initiation and response stage because it can be a little bit awkward. Did you guys ever see the movie I Love You Man? Did you guys ever see that in 2009? How many of you how many of you saw this movie? Okay, sinners. Um that's <laughs> Sorry, that's not true. So, so, so this is what this movie is about. That's Paul Rudd on the right. He p- plays a guy named Peter Clavin. And then that's Jason Siegel on the left. And he plays a guy named Sidney. And Paul Rudd doesn't have any friends. So he's going to get married and he has no best man. So he goes on a series of, and the movie calls them, mandates to find a best man. The entire movie is one long, awkward situation because Peter, was Paul Rudd's character, is trying to initiate relationships and he's just super, super awkward. And I mean like squirm in my seat, an hour and 45 minutes of awkward situation, awkward. But I'll be straight with you. This is what friendship takes. It takes initiating 
a mandate. Don't call it that, by the way. That, that doesn't help, right? Don't call it a mandate. But it takes initiating. It takes taking it upon ourselves and, and pursuing another person and pursuing a friendship. It takes pursuing another human being intentionally, even if it feels a little forced or awkward. I wonder if that first step in friendship ever felt awkward for David and Jonathan. You know, I'm guessing that it did. They're both young men. They're both extremely competent. They're both young leaders and warriors in their community. And they should not have been friends, really, based on kind of social norms and expectations. I'm guessing the initiative that Jonathan took wasn't exactly comfortable at the time. But he did initiate, and David did respond. And that's exactly what friendship takes. Initiation and response. So once someone has taken the initiative and another has responded, we move to phase two or stage two of friendships, and that's promise. Promise. For David and Jonathan, you see this second stage of friendship show up in that same passage we just looked at. Look back at verse 3. It's up here on the screen. It says that Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Not only did Jonathan initiate, he made a covenant with David. He made a promise to David. So so here's the deal. We, We don't really get covenant in our modern world. So so we're going to take a look at one aspect of biblical covenants. There are multifaceted covenants, but we'll just take a look at one aspect. Biblically speaking, a covenant is far more than just a commitment to something, to do something. Biblically speaking, a covenant is a commitment to someone. Hear the difference? It's not a commitment to something. Covenant is a commitment to someone. So listen, for Jonathan, it's not about helping David or fighting alongside David or supporting David. It's about David. It's about a person, not a something, a someone. Good bad and ugly. In all circumstances, in all situations, Jonathan is promising to stick with David. It's a promise. Praise God I have a friend like this here in Toronto. His name is Steve Van Binsbergen. He's one of our elders. He made a promise to me even when he didn't know me that well. That was his fault, but um, he did. Make a promise to me. Even before I moved here, he made a promise to me. He said something like this. He said, here's the deal, bud. We're friends. I'm on your team. I've got your back. Thick and thin. No matter what, you can count on me. It's not about what you do or how you behave or whether or not ministry goes well or anything else. I'm here for you. You hear the promise? It's a promise to someone These are the kinds of friends I need. These are the kinds of friends I need. The kind of folks that make a promise to stick by me. No strings attached. And this is the kind of friend I want to be. Don't you? A friend that makes a promise to a person and follows through 
no matter what. I was just thinking about this. It's not even in my notes. I want to say it. You, you know when you have someone who's promised to stick by you any and all circumstances? I'm with you. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. You know how easy it is to hear constructive criticism from those folks? The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. Steve made promises to me. He said, I'm sticking with you through thick and thin. And then he takes me out to Swiss Chalet and rips me for 30 minutes, you know. And I go, wow, that was lovely. <laughs> That's great. Why? Because I know he's not walking out of there. No matter what, he's with me. It's what true biblical friendships are built on. A promise to stick with that person through thick and thin. So between David and Jonathan, we've got initiation, we've got response, and now a promise has been made. So let's take a look at stage three of friendship. Stage three, if you're taking notes, jot it down. Stage three is sacrifice. Initiation and response is stage one. Stage two is promise, and stage three is sacrifice. Everybody look down at 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 4. It's up here on the screen. It says, And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. So there's far more going on here than just a dude giving another dude a couple of items of clothing and a couple of weapons. Jonathan is turning over his, listen, royal robe to David. Perhaps Jonathan knows that David's been anointed the next king in Israel. Perhaps he just senses that God has big plans for David. In any case, here's what Jonathan is saying to David. David, I, Jonathan, have a pretty good argument as to why I should be the next king in Israel. I'm the king's son. I'm the prince, for crying out loud. But I'm giving you my royal garments and my weapons. I recognize you as king. Do you hear it? But did you see what the scripture makes very clear here? Look at it. It's up here on the screen. It says, Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David. In order to be a great friend to David, Jonathan had to choose to give something up. He gave up his rights. He gave up his privileges. He gave up his, his future. Perhaps he even gave up his own desire to be king. Why? For the sake of of a friend. Let's talk about sacrifice for a minute. You know it's called sacrifice for a reason? <laughs> because it requires something of us. If it's easy, it's not sacrifice. It might be a nice gesture. It might be extremely generous. But if it's easy, it's not sacrifice. Sacrifice means I bleed a little. Sacrifice means I give something up. Sacrifice means I willingly lay down my wants and even needs for the sake of another person. And that's what true biblical friendship is built on. Sacrifice. I have two guys in, in my life. These, these guys are wonderful individuals. They're, they're my two best friends in the world. They'll be my friends forever. Their names are Seth and Chance. They, they could not be more opposite. Like... 
like the fact that those two guys are friends, and it's kind of like the three of us, right? It's a little bit of a, a, little bit of a trio, right? So um, the fact that those two guys even get along is like God's greatest miracle. You know, like it's parting the Red Sea and then Seth and Chance get along, right? They're so opposite. Seth uh, is highly, highly conservative, always excelled in everything he's done. He went to the Naval Academy in the U.S. He's, like I said, he's extremely conservative. He flew planes for the Navy for 12 years. Now he's an attorney and he wears a three-piece suit to work every day. Chance, on the other hand, is politically fairly left side, left wing, and he uh, doesn't have a pair of pants or shorts that don't have an elastic waistband on them. He's a trainer at a gym. He can squat like a Volvo or something. I mean, it's just craziness, right? They're very, very different people, and they get along very well. And, and I knew that Seth was going to be a true friend when he made his very first sacrifice for me. Now, Seth and I kind of, there, there had been an initiation of friendship and a response. I don't remember who it was, did, you know, who initiated and who responded. But that had happened. There had been a little bit of a promise there, like, hey, we're going to be friends. Great. It's awesome. So um, Amy and I were going on vacation with uh, our family, or with, with my side of the family, and we uh, drove to New Mexico, and we drove through Payson. We picked my sister up up in Payson, and then we drove to New Mexico. Now, for those of you who are from here and don't know Arizona geography, that doesn't mean squat to you, so let me put it in Toronto terms. It's like driving to Ottawa, but d- taking a little pit stop to pick up another family member in Muskoka. So you drive up north two, two and a half hours, you pick up somebody up north at a cottage, and then over to Ottawa. So when we got to my sister's house, we switched cars, and we moved bags around and all that stuff, and then we headed out to New Mexico, or in our case, Ottawa, right? So uh, four or five days later, we come back, and we get back to Phoenix, and we're unloading, and I realize on Sunday night at like 10 o'clock that I have left my car keys to the car that's sitting in our driveway at my sister's house in Payson, like two and a half hours north of where I was. I don't know if you know this, but keys are critical to start a car. I just, that was new information to me. It was, you know, I barely know where to put the gas. So I was like, oh, wow, I need my keys. So Amy had just had it. She was exhausted. I really think she was probably tired of me, which makes total sense. But so I, I said, well, I'll call Seth and see if he'll take me up to Payson two hours or two and a half, whatever it was, to get my keys at my sister's house and bring them back down. Seth at the time was in law school. He was a very, very busy guy. And like I said, he's always excelled in everything that he's done. So I called Seth. I said, hey, bud, I need a favor. And he said, shoot. And I said, I need you to take me to get my, uh, my keys. I left them at my sister's house. And he said, great. And I said, uh, you know she lives in Payson, right? And he said, oh, come on, man. I said, so are you going to come get me or not? And he said, well, of course I am. Give me five minutes. Five minutes later, he's in my driveway, a cup of coffee. And if you, if you know me at all, like if, if you know me fairly well, you, you, you may know that I'm really, really outstanding at sleeping in planes and cars. So 10 o'clock on a Sunday night, Seth's got to go to law school the next morning. I get in the car, and within five minutes, I'm, I'm out. You know, I'm just gone. So two hours, Seth's driving up to Payson like the nobody to talk to because his best friend's out, you know, in the passenger seat. So I get to my sister's house, and I wake up, like, feeling fresh, right? Woo, it was a good nap. Seth, thanks, buddy. Get out, get my keys, back in the car, and boom, I'm out like a light again. All the way back home. 
and I get up and then, you know, go inside and go back to bed and get another four or five hours sleep. And, you know, I'm getting 10 or 11 hours that night. I felt great. I felt great. But see, Seth, you know, to, to do that for me, it required sacrifice. It required giving something up of himself, a desire, even a need for sleep. I didn't give him gas money. He had a coffee waiting for me when I got in the car, which I drank and immediately went to sleep. I knew at that moment that Seth was a real friend. Why? Because real friends sacrifice for one another. They put needs aside. They put desires aside for the sake of someone else. Now listen, can you imagine the kind of freedom that that brings? When someone in your life pursues you relentlessly, who promises much more than just following through on an action, they promise to stick with you. They're willing to lay aside their own desires for your sake. Look at the result of that kind of friendship. Verse 5, 1 Samuel 18, verse 5. It says, David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now, you may not think that Jonathan's friendship contributed a ton to David's success, but this, exact, this is exactly what the Bible is indicating here. Verse 5, about David's success wherever he goes, military success, promotions, favor with the people, that comes directly after the Bible's description of the early stages of David and Jonathan's friendship. Here's what we learn. Friends, you have a lot more power than you think. When we pursue our friends, when we initiate, when we make promises and stick with them, when we sacrifice for the sake of our friends, it launches that individual on a pathway towards growth, success, and favor. You may know this, but David and Jonathan's relationship wasn't always easy. In 1 Samuel 19, Scripture tells us that King Saul, who was Jonathan's father, still wanted to kill David. 1 Samuel 19.1 says, Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. You know, David and Jonathan's friendship was tested by fire the moment that Saul expressed his desire to take David's life. What would Jonathan do? Would he play along? Would he speak poorly of David? Would he remain silent? Jonathan does none of that. He doesn't even remain silent and then warn David. When Saul begins to speak poorly of David, Jonathan's best friend, and express his intention to end David's life, Jonathan immediately defends his friend's character. Look at Jonathan's response. This is chapter 19, verse 4. It says, Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not the king sin against his servant David. He's calling his dad out. This is serious business for the sake of his friend. Because he has not sinned against you and because his deeds have brought good to you. This is phase four of friendship. It's what I call the testing and defense stage. Testing and defense. Jonathan is tested but defends his friend at the risk of great personal loss. There it is, stage four, testing and defense. The scripture tells us that Saul actually attempted to murder Jonathan because of his friendship with David. 
All Jonathan had to say was, yeah, I guess he's not all that great. After all, you know, this Goliath stuff, he seems pretty aloof anyway. But he doesn't. Jonathan is tested. Their friendship is tested. But Jonathan defends David in any and all circumstances. What about you? How do you respond when your friendships are tested? Do you let circumstances determine how you respond or even the trajectory of your friendship? Or do you defend your friends and your friendships in the face of potential loss? Do you speak well of them at all times? Do you gossip and backstab because you want attention and you would rather not take a risk? Listen, do you want to be a great friend a biblical friend, a Christ-centered friend? Do you want to develop great, life-giving, lifelong friendships? Here's how you do it. Ruthlessly defend your friends in the face of testing. Ruthlessly defend your friends in the face of testing. It will form bonds that last a lifetime. Stage five. It's my favorite one, perseverance. Initiation and response, promise, sacrifice, testing and defense, and now perseverance. You know, you know when David, or when Jonathan first defended David, Saul kind of let up, but it didn't last. Saul continued breathing out murderous threats against David, and Jonathan knew that his friend was no longer safe. So the two young men put a plan together to help David escape. David hides in a field. Jonathan confronts his father one last time, and it's clear that if David stays, Saul is going to kill him. So Jonathan devises a plan to secretly signal David that he needs to run. He says to David, look, I'm going to shoot an arrow, and I'll send a servant boy after it. And if I say to the boy, closer... Then David, it's safe to return. But if I say to the boy, keep going, then David, you've got to run and never come back. I can only imagine the heartache when David heard the voice of his friend cry out, keep going. The arrow's further. And David knew that he'd never see his friend again. The signals were designed to be secret, but it seems that the two friends could not walk away without seeing each other one last time. You can read along with me, in my opinion, it's one of the saddest moments in all of Scripture. Chapter 20, verse 41. As soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace, because we have sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And David rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. And that is the last time that David and Jonathan speak. Years later, Jonathan would die beside his father in battle. David would mourn like few had mourned before and like few had mourned since. He fasted, he wept, and he memorialized his friend in song. You can read it in 2 Samuel chapter 1. 
But though Jonathan is gone, David remembered his promise. I'm going to read it again. The Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And David was wholeheartedly committed to this final stage of friendship. Perseverance. No matter what, I'm with you thick and thin. I'm going to persevere. So Saul and Jonathan are gone. David becomes king in Israel. Saul and Jonathan's descendants are all but gone. But David wants to be sure. You don't have to turn there. 2 Samuel chapter 9 says, David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant in the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king, that's David, said, is there not still someone in the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodeber. The king David sent and brought him from the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodeber. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, this is Jonathan's son, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land your father. And you shall eat at my table always. Twice in 2 Samuel 9, the text reminds us that Mephibosheth was crippled. He was an outcast, marginalized, forgotten about. David does not care. Four times it tells us that Mephibosheth ate at King David's table. What does that mean? He wasn't a servant. David adopted this boy as a son. Three times the text tells us that David gives all of Saul's riches that rightfully belong to David. He gave them all to Mephibosheth. Why? Because he wanted to show kindness to his friend Jonathan who was dead and gone. Why? Because years before, David had made a promise to his friend that their friendship would endure and that he would persevere. David's friendship with Jonathan would persevere in and through Jonathan's son, even after Jonathan was gone. Perseverance in any and all circumstances is the mark of a true friend. I've got a ton of friends in my life that exhibit these characteristics. Mentors, leaders, teachers, those I serve with. They initiate, they promise, they sacrifice, they defend, and they persevere. But I have two, only two, that are lifelong friends. As I read this week, each page of scripture that I turned, I felt like I could replace Jonathan's name with Chance or Seth. Those two guys are some of God's greatest gifts to me. They're the reason I'm still married. They're the reason I'm still in ministry. They're the reason I haven't gone completely crazy. 
because I watch them exhibit these stages of friendship every single day. Initiate. Promise. Sacrifice. Defend. And persevere. It's amazing what a biblical friendship can do. It can change a life. Here's how we're going to conclude today. I want to put these stages of friendship back up here on the screens. Would you all put those? There you go. Great. I want you to pick one friend. Just one. And identify where you're at in the process and make a commitment to take the next step. Maybe someone has been brought into your life because you share a common interest, or you live in the same neighborhood, you work at the same place, and you hang out, and you get along, and there's an affinity there, but you haven't taken the initiative to to develop a friendship. Or maybe they've initiated and you just haven't responded. Whatever it is, take that step this week. Maybe you have a friend where you've initiated and and, and they've responded or they've initiated and you've responded, but you haven't sat down with them and said, hey, look, here's the deal. I'm with you. I'm making a promise, thick and thin. Allow God to prompt your heart to take that step with that friend this week. What about sacrifice? Is God calling you to put something aside Is God calling you to to put your own needs, put your own desires on the altar for the sake of a friend? Take that step this week. Is your friendship being tested? Dig your heels in. Defend it. It's worth it. Or, Or maybe you're just in a time of perseverance. Maybe you're just in a time of sticking it through. Maybe you've got a, a great friend, and maybe there's, there's a struggle, there's a challenge, and, and you've just got to ride it out. Make a commitment before the Lord today that you're going to do so. It's worth it. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take some time to pray together. And the way that we're going to do that is I'm going to pray for us, but we're also going to have some prayer partners in a moment stand and come forward. And then after that, we're going to receive what's called a benevolent offering. A benevolent offering is something that we do on the first Sunday of every month. It's just an additional offering that goes directly to folks in our community, directly to people who have a need in our community of faith and even in our surrounding community. And the band is going to lead us in a song here in a moment when we do that. But right now... Here's what we're going to do. I would just invite you to bow your head. Allow the bowing of your head to reflect uh, the bowing of your heart before God. Close your eyes, not because it's like magic or whatever. Just kind of block out distractions. And picture that friend's face in your mind. that gift of a friend that God has given you. Is it time for you to initiate? Is it time for you to to say, "I, I promise I'm with you? Is there a sacrifice that God is calling you to make for their sake? Is your friendship being tested? Do you need to defend it? Or are you in a time where you're just persevering? Make a commitment before the Lord 
that you would take that next step this week in that friendship. Drew and worship team, if you guys would just kind of slowly and quietly make your way up here. If we just kind of maintain a posture of prayer before the Lord. encourage you to just remain quiet before him and just continue to bring your heart before the Lord as these guys play. We're going to sing together in a minute, but before we do that, here's what we know. We know that we've got people from every phase of life come into our congregation on Sunday. People that had a great week and they're kind of on cloud nine and they're praising God and thanking him for his blessing, blessings. Some folks that have had a tough week or month or year or years. And we know that it's good to be together and pray. So prayer partners, if you would just stand where you're at and make your way forward. These prayer partners are elders and leaders here in our church. And they would like to just, they're just going to put their hand on your shoulder and pray for you. They're not going to give you advice. They're not going to give you a book to read. Just share your prayer request with them, and they would love to lift it up on your behalf. As the band kind of prays quietly, I invite you to stand and come forward if you would like somebody to pray with you, pray for you, pray over you. Thank God or even bring your request before Him. We're going to be quiet before the Lord just for the next couple of moments and then we'll close together by singing.